have covered some topics that I plan on covering. Uh, this was uh, a surprise, I guess, to both of us, and I apologize if I should say something that he had already covered earlier. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know what he said because, as some of you will know, I don't like listening to lectures and I don't like giving lectures, so I found something else to do during that time. Uh, but I hope, as I said, inshallah, that uh, if there is any overlap between what I say in this lecture and what you said in the previous lecture, that there will be the kind of overlap that will add something or take uh, the same topic from a different uh, perspective, inshallah. The effects of sin <coughs> obviously are many. And in this lecture, inshallah, I want to go through some of them. And then I plan on emphasizing or talking about one of them uh, in greater detail. And this topic of the effect of sins, and one thing I've noticed, alhamdulillah, here in the conferences in, uh, in England, is that many of the youth attend these conferences. And what I mean really by youth are people in the, their late teens and twenties and so forth. So relatively speaking, young folks. Uh, and it is all it is especially during this age that one is presented with many things and the avenues to many types of sins, many types of ways of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially in this kind of society, are very much open to you. And there's a lot of peer pressure, a lot of pressure from the people you're studying with, a lot of pressure from the people that you're working with, to engage in things that you know are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I hope, inshallah, by realizing some of the effects of sins, and by keeping this in mind, inshallah, when you are tempted, and when the opportunity comes about to commit some kinds of sins, inshallah, the effects of those sins, inshallah, will be on your mind, and this will help you, inshallah, to stay away from those things which, as I said, are so prevalent and so easy uh, to get into in, in these kinds of societies we're living in, in the West, and in fact in the world as a whole, unfortunately, nowadays. <coughs> inshallah, I hope. I plan on beginning my discussion with some uh, some introductory points that will also, inshallah, help us realize some of the aspects of sins that nowadays sometimes we, we neglect. The first point I want to talk about is the question of major versus minor sins. One of the authors in the history of Islam who wrote the book on Al-Kabair or the great sins, in the opening pages he mentioned that there are a number of scholars, including Abu Bakr al-Baqilani and Imam al-Haramain, who are of the opinion that there is no such thing as minor sins or sagaya and greater sins or Al-Kabair. And they say that there is only a relative difference. Some sins are greater than others, but in fact all of them are great or all of them are evil. 
This opinion that they hold is not the majority opinion, nor does it seem, Allah alam, from clear hadith and from verses in the Quran to be the correct opinion. And if there are things which are known as al-kabair, as greater sins, and there are things known as the salair or lesser sins. But I begin with their point of view in order to emphasize a point. And that is whether an act is a lesser, is a greater sin, is a great sin or a minor sin. Sometimes when we mention that fact and we say, for example, that this act is a minor sin, Many people stress the minor part and they forget the other part. It is still a sin. And a minor sin is still a sin. It is still a disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To say that something is a minor sin doesn't mean it's okay. But it may not be as grave as the greater sins. And even among the greater sins, there are things that are graver than others. So when you perform a sin, and whether it is, or when it is a minor sin, you have to realize that it is still a sin. Don't let the first part, or don't let the aspect that it is called a sariah, or that it is called minor. And don't let the shaitan fool you by that, into thinking that therefore it is not really harmful. Because, for example, as Ibn Qudama said, as Ibn Qudama said, that it is possible for someone to, to commit a great sin, but he does it once and he stops it and he does not return to it. And it is more likely that that person will be forgiven for that greater sin than the one who does a small sin, but he does it repeatedly over and over. And so the small sins are not and even though we might call them minor or small, and perhaps this is not uh, the best terminology that we could use in English, but a minor sin is not something that may not harm you. It can harm you. It can harm you very much. And the Prophet ﷺ warned us, in a hadith recorded by Muslim and Ahmed, he warned, that's about those sins that we think are very small. And he gave us the example of them. He, was, he said it is like the people who are stopped in a valley, they are stopped in a land, and then each one of them, or one of them comes and brings a twig, the other one brings another twig and so forth, until they build a fire which is very high, very hot, and very strong, strong enough to cook their food very well. I mean, this is the, this is the parable that the Prophet has given us about those sins that we consider something very minor, something very small. That if, in fact, and we continue to perform them, if we continue to perform them, it is like adding a small twig over another small twig and another small twig onto a fire, and the result, of course, is a large fire that will burn you and will can destroy you. And in fact, this is one of the real differences between a true believer 
and someone who is lacking in his faith. But yani, the true believer, whatever form of disobedience he has performed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is afraid and he is worried because of that deed. But the one who is lacking in faith and he, he performs sins, he performs sins and he considers them insignificant and he's not worried about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may look at those sins. As Ibn Masood said, as recorded in Sahih Bukhari, Ibn Masood said that the believer looks at his sin as if he was at the base of a mountain and he fears that they will fall upon him. And this is how a believer looks towards his sin. And he is if, and he, there are a, a mountain above him and at any moment they may crumble and crash upon him. While the father or the evildoer at the same time, he looks at his sins as if it was just a fly that landed on his nose and he can just yeah, flick it away. It doesn't harm him whatsoever. And this is how sometimes we approach the minor sins because once again, and we say that they are minor, so they are minor, that means they are in insignificant, but that is not what a surrayer means. A sariah simply means that relative to al-kabair, or relative to the greater sins, they are less in harm, and they may be removed in different ways or in easier ways, but still they are sins and they are disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, instead of looking at the deed that you perform, instead of trying to look at how minor that sin is, you should instead look to the one whom you have disobeyed. Don't try to belittle the act of disobedience, but think about the greatness of the one whom you have disobeyed. So another aspect about this that we have to keep in mind is that also sometimes, as many of the ulama have written on this point, it is possible for a minus one <coughs> It is possible for an act that in itself can be called a minor sin. It is possible for that, that a certain person performs them, and in the manner that he performs them, it is possible for it to become a greater sin. So these are also some things that we should keep in mind when talking about sins, and the ways by which a minor sin can become a greater sin in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the first of these aspects <coughs> is when the human, and the one who does this sin, this minor sin, he belittles the sin and does not consider it important, and he has no fear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or he has no fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concerning that sin. And I'm stressing again, I'm stressing these points at the outset, to remove a misunderstanding that many of us have concerning minor sins, that as I said, we stress the concept of the idea that they are minor, and we have a tendency to forget that they are sins. And if we do such sins, and we think them as insignificant, and we are not afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we do not think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will do something to us, or we don't care 
about how or what kind of punishment we get, may get from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due to that sin, then that sin, that act, which may be described in the books as a minor sin because of your attitude to it, it now has become a greater sin. On the other hand, a person could commit a grave sin and one of the kabira, and yet, and because of his attitude towards it, because of how it feels towards it, because of how his heart feels about it, and because of his fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, perhaps, and this sin may become a minor sin. And this is discussed, uh, and due to time, as you know, and as I tried to mention in the introductory lecture yesterday, and in these kinds of lectures we have a lot of materials to cover and, and short time to cover them in. So we, uh, or the speakers I should say, sometimes they might give you like one tenth or one twentieth of what they would like to give you. And in this lecture I'm going to try to give you some things, but I cannot go, always go into details and all the evidence and all the other aspects of the point. But this particular point, uh, it is discussed in the book Shahul Aqid al-Tahawiyya, or the explanation of the Aqid al-Tahawiyya which has been completely translated into English, and I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it soon that it will be available to the public, inshaAllah. Another aspect by which a minor sin can become a major sin is the world, is when the person is very pleased with the act that he performs, even to the point that he might boast about it to others. And because once again it is an act of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you are proud of the fact that you committed such an act of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then because of what is in your heart, and even though the sin or the act may not be considered one of the greatest sins, because of what is in your heart, it may become such. I mean, this is for example if someone cheats, if one brother cheats another brother, in a minor way that maybe could be considered a minor sin, but then he's very happy with it and he shows off about it and says to others, you know, you saw how I cheated him and I made him look foolish and so forth. And this kind of behavior can change that sin from being a minor sin into a major sin. There are other ways uh, by which a sin, a minor sin, can become a greater sin, I'll just, inshallah, discuss one more. And this is where a person commits a sin while the drive and the forces that are making him to commit that sin are actually very weak. In other words, he's not in a position that really he needs to commit that sin or there's something really forcing him to commit that sin. And in that case, he is committing a sin even though in himself there's nothing really any that he cannot overcome. If he wanted to stop himself from committing that sin, he could easily do so. But he is showing actually by his action that he doesn't care and he wants to commit that sin and he doesn't care even though he has no drive in himself or will need to commit that sin. And this, uh, this aspect is mentioned by some of the ulama. And it is, it is derived or is based on a hadith of Prophet Sallallahu in Sahih Muslim in which the Prophet Sallallahu said that on the Day of Judgment there are three people whom Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will not look at 
and in other words, not look at uh, in a pleasing fashion, and we will not purify them. Or excuse me, it begins with he will not speak to them, and he will not purify them, and he will not look to them, and they will have a grievous punishment. And these three are the the sheikh, the old man who commits zina or commits fornication or dhuf, and the king who is a liar, who has the characteristic of being a liar, and the poor person who tries to be very arrogant, very proud. And these people, for example, the sheikh, the old man, and his drive to commit, or his drive, or his lust, I guess is a better word, I don't know if you say that here in England, but we certainly do say it in the United States. And he was blessed, and he to commit that sin. It's much weaker than him, in him than it is in many of our younger brothers that we see here today. But still, and even at that age, even though the drive in him isn't that strong, and he is more able to restrain himself, and even he is more, should be more, he should be wiser and more intelligent at that time, even though and the things driving him to commit that sin are not really there, he still and he commits that sin of, of fornication. Similarly, the king and he, the people who are going to lie, who have to lie, are usually those who fear for the consequences of things that they have done. But a king usually has the power and control that he, he shouldn't have to lie. And this is what probably I wrote many years ago, maybe nowadays things are different for some of us. Uh, present day situation. But at that time, you know, the king, uh, or as the hadith is describing a situation where and a king should have no need to lie. So if he even lies, even though he has the power and the authority in his hand, and he is doing something that a sin, and he was, there is no strong pressure really forcing him uh, to commit that sin. So therefore, and you know, this sin becomes a great sin in the, in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much that as the Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will neither speak with them or purify them or look at them on their judgment when now would be left. And so therefore a conclusion basically of what the kind of point that I'm trying to make by this discussion is that our attitude towards sin is that we should never consider any sin to be insignificant to the point that we feel that it will not harm us or it doesn't really matter if we commit that sin or not. And similarly, and we should not uh, neglect or we should always try to be aware of the fact of the long-term effect that that sin may have upon us. Unfortunately, what has happened nowadays, even some of the greater sins, people are committing them, and they are considering them very inconsequential. But again, every sin is a disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every sin has the possibility and the possible threat of being punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hereafter for that sin. As the companion of the Prophet Anas ibn Malik said, the true people today are performing deeds, and he said this at that time, and of course the, the meaning is even stronger nowadays. 
He said, you people nowadays are performing deeds that in your, in your eyes these deeds are smaller than a piece of hair. And you look at them as something very insignificant. However, during the time of the Prophet we used to consider them as some of the destructive acts, and the acts that would lead to our complete annihilation and destruction. So again, and we have to consider every sin, whether it is called by the scholars as a minor sin or greater sin, and we have to remember that every sin is a disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also nowadays what we find happening is that people consider some deeds as insignificant, claiming that there are more important things that we have to take care of. And this, as in so many cases, and this is a very important general point, is that many times falsehood is being spread by mixing something which is true with something which is false. So the person gets confused by the true part and thinks the conclusion also is true. While many times the conclusion is false. Like on this point, and where people say, for example, that there are more important things in the world today, so why should we care about whether or not somebody is growing his beard, or whether or not somebody, uh, his gown is too long, or something of that nature? And it is true in the Sharia that some things may be more important than other things. However, One thing is neglected in favor of another thing only when there is a conflict between the two, such that you cannot perform both of them. But if you can perform both of them and there's no conflict between the two, and there's nothing preventing you from performing both of them, then you have to perform them both, and you cannot say, oh, one is more important than the other, so let's not worry about this one, let's just worry about the more important one. And it is true what is happening to the Muslim Ummah in many parts of the Muslim Ummah today. And what is happening in Kashmir or in Gaza and so forth. And we know what is happening. And we know that, th that those matters are very important matters, and they deserve our attention. But for me to work on behalf of Kashmir or on, on behalf of the Muslims of Bosnia and sacrifice my time for them, and what does that have to do with my ability to let my beard grow and make sure that my gown is proper and things of this nature? There is no conflict between them whatsoever. So to say there's more important things that we have to take care of, yes, that's true, if there's some conflict and we cannot do both of them, then the most important one takes precedence. But if there's no conflict, if there's no conflict and there's no excuse whatsoever for anyone committing a sin in the name of other things being more important. And more importantly, that sin, that sin that he is committing, that the person who argues in this way may be committing, 
may actually be something that is affecting those more important things that he wants to deal with. For example, and I've seen this in many cases, when you can hear people coming and talking about the unity of Muslims, how Muslims have to be united, how when the Prophet attack Muslims, they're not going to attack this group or that group and so forth, but they're attacking Islam as a whole. And they're fighting Muslims as a whole. And the unity of Muslims is one of the most important things that we have to work for today. <clears throat> all of that, all of that is true. But then you see the same person who's talking about the unity of the Muslims, when he comes to the Salat, he does not stand, he does not stand in such a way that he makes the line of the prayer straight in the Salat. And if you may ask him about it, why don't you make the line straight, he'll say, you know, we have more important things like this lecture I just talked about concerning the unity of the Muslims. And this is what I mean by you have to realize what is the effect of your sins even on those greater and more important goals that you want to meet. Because the Prophet has told us that if we do not make the line straight in the Salat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make our hearts differ and be disunited. So he is talking about being united and talking about how important that is and the action that he himself is performing may be something that is contributing and if this sin that he's performing may be something that is contributing to the disease that he just spent one hour talking about saying that we have to quit. And this, and it makes us realize that there are many effects of sins. And we have to put any of the effects of sins in the proper perspective. And in fact, there are some scholars who have written about sins and talked about the performance of, any, of committing sins and they have emphasized any, how, how important it is for Muslims to remain away from sin. The Prophet when he ordered us to do something, as he mentioned in the Hadith, we are ordered to do it to the best of our ability. But when it comes to remaining away from sins, the Prophet, the Prophet ordered us any, anything that he prohibited us to stay away from completely. Well, the, the evil effects of sin, as I said, are many indeed. One of the best books, and he describing this, that if you would like more detail in, inshallah. Uh, it's a book in Arabic. Okay, no problem. Uh, it is by al-Qaim, uh, And many of the points that I'm going to discuss, uh, in naming some of the evil effects of sins are based on that work. However, at the outset, he has one passage that I think, and it must be stated, as an excellent introduction to this topic. 
and it says that everyone must know that sin and disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are harmful without any doubt. And the harm that it cause is now? It is now a look. The harm that it cause in the heart is like the harm that a poison can cause to the body with different degrees of hurt and harm. And then he says, is there anything in the dunya, in this world, or in the hereafter, is there, is there any evil or any disease that is not that caused by sin and disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is there any evil or any disease that is not but caused by sins and disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And then he continues by discussing the history of mankind. For example, he says, was it not a sin that expelled our, our, our parents, Adam and Eve, from Jannah, from the place of bounties and happiness to this land of pain and suffering and trials? And he also says about Iblis, and it wasn't it an act of disobedience that made Iblis to turn him from someone who in his previous state, Ibn Qayyim state, and he was worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to become the most and a despicable creature on the face of the earth. Wasn't that and due to a sin and a disobedience that he performed? And once the people were all drowned at the time of Noah because of the sins that they were committing at that time. And then he goes on to talk about the people of Lot and Pharaoh and so forth. All of them were destroyed because of the sins that they had committed. So every kind of evil that we see on this earth is because of the sins that the people have committed in Muqayyim And then he discusses in, in detail some particular types. And as I said, I have taken some from what he said. Uh, and I have, I have not, and he mentions many, I have not bothered to include all of them here. And even as I speak to you, I may not even include all that I wrote down in my notes here. But the first one that I would like to mention, and this is something that and it should be on the minds of all of us when we think or consider committing a sin, is that every sin leads one to being further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is an act that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it is an act that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, does not approve of. And every time you commit a sin, this is something that you should keep in mind. This is something that you should think about before you actually engage in that sin and begin to commit a sin. And that is that the act that you're performing is something displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is something displeasing to your Creator. It is something displeasing 
to, to the one who has given you all of the bounties that you have given that you have possessed in this world. And is this the way that you remember and you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by disobeying him, by doing those things that you know are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And this is, as I said, this is something that should be, yani, before you commit, before anyone thinks about committing any sin, he should just stop and pause and think about this fact. That he is displeasing the one who has given him every bounty that he possesses in this world. He is displeasing the, the one who has given him the great bounty of Islam and Iman. And sometimes when we have good friends, and these friends have done a great deal for us, and they've always been there when we needed them, and they've, all, they've always been helpful to us. And sometimes we feel very shy, very embarrassed, we feel very sad when we, if we do something that we know will displease that friend of ours. I'm sure all of you have been in that situation, you know what I'm talking about. That even with the friend who is close to you, if you know that he doesn't like something, you feel very bad, you feel very sad to do something that may be displeasing to him. But if this is how you feel towards a friend of yours, a close friend of yours, how should you feel towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in doing those deeds and doing those acts that you know will certainly are acts that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But similarly, similarly, sins and committing deeds that are disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because a decrease in our iman. As we know, iman increases and decreases, and it decreases by, or it increases by our good deeds, and it decreases by our evil deeds. And every time we commit a sin, our iman is getting less and less. And on this point, and as we see in the hadith, uh, hadith Qudsi, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has stated that a person gets closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most by performing the obligatory deeds. And then he continues to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by performing the voluntary deeds until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him, he becomes and his sight by which he sees and so forth. I'm sure we're all familiar with that hadith. So when you commit a sin, and committing a sin is the exact opposite of obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you do something haram, this is the exact opposite of doing the thing which is uh, obligatory upon you. Because if something is haram, that means it's obligatory upon you to stay away from it. So when you, when anyone commits sins, and he is reducing his iman, he is reducing his level of iman, and as the Nukayim pointed out, and he can move from the level of ihsan, to the level, yani the level of Ihsan, the highest level where he's worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as if he sees him and although he doesn't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he knows 
holy word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has seen him. He moves from the level of Ihsan to the level of Iman, faith, to the level of Islam and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you, when you, when you move from one level to the other, then you are losing great blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even in this world you are losing great blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Muslim, to the one who has a son, he gives them things that he doesn't have give, give to the believer. And to the real believer he gives things that he does not give to the one who has Islam. And there are many proofs or evidence for this in the Quran and the Hadith. And I'll just mention one of them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ وَجَعَلُهُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِ يُسْرًا And the one who has taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who has the real fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he's not the one who is committing lots of sins and doesn't care, and doesn't have that strong fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who has the real fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make things easy in his affairs. So this is a blessing that the one who commits lots of sins, Yani he will lose, uh, or he could lose in his life. Also, the committing of sins, yani causes blackness or causes harm in our hearts to the point that our hearts may become sealed and may become degenerated. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا زَوُوا أَزَّغَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ فَاللَّهُ لَا يَحْبِقُمُ الْفَاسِقِينَ and he went, so when they turned away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned their hearts away, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not guide the wrongdoing folk. Well, the Prophet sallallahu has told us that every time someone commits a sin, and when you commit a sin, there is a black mark that is put on your heart. And as, as you continue to commit sin, and it could be the case that all of your hearts becomes covered with this black, come, becomes covered with this rust to the point as described in the hadith that you no longer even know what is ma'ruf, what is right and good and you no longer recognize the right and good is right and you no longer even recognize the evil of you and you simply follow your desires. I mean this is a result that could occur to a person when in fact when he is committing sin, his heart is filled or his heart continues to be covered until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, until it becomes completely filled with rust, until it becomes completely black, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seals the person's heart. So the effect, yani, to the individual in his life, in this world, committing sins and disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can lead in this world to a, to a sad, yani, a miserable life in this world. We can see many, many times in the Quran that the only true life and the only happy life and the only real life, the only life even which is consistent with our nature and the only life that we can follow which and it will not have really psychological problems and things tearing at each other inside us. The only life that is consistent with our nature and is of that nature that can bring us true happiness in this life is when we obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and submit and to Islam and obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised the one, yani, من آمل, من آمل صالحا من ذكر وانثى وهو مؤمن Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that whoever does good deeds whether he is male or female and he is a believer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says we will give him a very good life and we will reward him according to the best of his deeds on the other hand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَعْرَضَ عَنْ ذِكْرِ فَإِنَّ لَهُ مَعَيْشَةً مَمْكَةً وَنَحْشُرُهُ الْيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ الْأَعْمَى And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the one who turns away from his remembrance, from, from, from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed and from the teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, turns away from it and he's not willing to apply it, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him a very difficult life in this world and in the hereafter. He will be resurrected, um, he will be resurrected blind in the hereafter. This is one aspect that we can see very clearly among the Kufar, for example. Those who, who have embraced Islam, who, who lived in this jahiliyat that is existing in the world today, and you know firsthand, you may know firsthand some of the difficulties and some of the problems, that these people have no idea about God and how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how they need how to lead their lives and the kind of difficulties inside and the psychological difficulties they may be given almost you know as much as anybody else has been given in this world yet still inside his heart he cannot rest he cannot find happiness and that is because he is not following the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and similarly when we commit sins the more sins that we commit the same result for us we are leaving that happy in real life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give us to a life of happiness, uh, to a life of misery and sadness. So another aspect that people have a tendency to overlook sometimes is that sins will prevent someone or can prevent someone from, from performing good deeds. And this is something that we see or we can read a lot in the words of the early scholars. And they stress this point. And as we know, when we perform good deeds, when we perform them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it will lead, inshallah, for great rewards. And so therefore being guided to performing, being guided to performing those good deeds is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, اَحْزِنَ الصَّلَاةُ الْمُسْتَقِينَ يعني to guide us to the straight path, to guide us to those deeds. To receive that guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a great blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may not be given to those people who are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may prevent them may keep them yani, from being guided to doing these good deeds. And so therefore he's losing lots of reward in the hereafter. He's losing lots of ways and means by which he can please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And someone who is not astute, someone who is not aware, and he may not even realize this in his life. He may think, Alhamdulillah, I pray five times a day, I do that. And he might do some other deeds, yet at the same time he's committing lots of sins. So therefore he is missing out on many good deeds that he could have also performed. 
For example, Sufyan authority once said that I have been prevented from performing Qiyam al-Layl or the late night prayer for five months because of a sin that I have committed. And as I said, yani this, this feeling or this attitude that the sins they committed are the things that are keeping them from good deeds, you can find this a lot in the statements of the early scholars. In fact, Ibn Masood was one time asked, Ibn Masood was, was, uh, was asked by someone, they said, we cannot perform, and we don't have the ability to get up in late at night and perform the Tahajjud prayer. And Ibn Masood said, your sins have kept you away from it. And nowadays, many, many people I know complain about the fact that they cannot perform Tahajjud. So, you know, we read about it, we hear about how great it is. But, you know, every time we try to get up or every time we think about getting up, or even before we go to bed at night, we decide, oh, we've been up late, maybe we won't get up tonight yet. And so they never get the blessing of actually performing the Tahajjud prayer. And this, why does this occur? This could occur because of the sins that they are committing. And we have to realize these facts. We have to realize these kinds of effects that the sins may have upon us. And one of the sins, one of the effects of sins is that it may lead to more sins. And this is something once again that is discussed in, uh, in detail in, in uh, he gives you the evidence for it and everything. Farid, just two quick announcements. Shalaf Jakula, your wife is waiting for you. And, could, and if Tariq Nawaz has his child, his wife is waiting very worried. Any more announcements? Sure. Anybody in the audience have an announcement? Yeah, before we move on. I'll just, uh, just give you the statement that he made without going into the details because this is not, this is the proper arena for it. Uh, he wrote in Shabal Aqidah Tahuya, Ibn Abu Liz al-Hanafi wrote, when one commits a sin, it is a punishment for another sin which, is, which has been committed earlier. One sin leads to another sin. The succeeding one is the punishment for the preceding one, just as one disease leads to another. And as I said, the discussion is kind of uh, intense and complicated. The dua is all about. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is willing, and is close to the believers and is willing to answer their call and answer their dua, then we realize yani, how important or how grave the effects of sins can be. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was telling us in the Quran that he is close to us and that he is ready hearing the dua and, and answering the dua. It could be that our sins will keep us from having our dua answered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Prophet described the man who, and his clothing and his food and his drink, everything is from haram. And then he is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, give me this and give me that. And so all the sins that we commit may prevent us from having our du'a answered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
and sins also. And this seems to be a point, unfortunately, which many people have uh, neglected nowadays. But one of the greatest and the most important of Asbab uh, al-Nasr, or having uh, one of the important causes or means by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us victory and give the Muslims victory, is our obedience and our piety and our iman. And so therefore committing, of, committing sins and lacking that piety and lacking that obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is one of the causes that may prevent us from getting the nasr or getting the victory and getting the help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, this is something that Umar al-Khattab wrote to his general uh, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, yani that the thing that differentiates, uh, differentiates us from the disbelievers and is not our military strength or our military know-how, but it is our obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he told them to be very careful and be very aware of the sins that people commit, such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant the believers victory. And we can even see in the Quran, in the battle of Uhud, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the battle of Uhud, and how the archers had disobeyed the command from the Prophet and how that led and to what happened to them in the battle of Uhud, and simply in the, in the case of Hunayn, when they became, when they became arrogant and thought that their numbers were so great and so on. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punished them, uh, or was about to punish them because of that attitude that they have. And as I said, this is something uh, very important and that is neglected by many people nowadays. Many people talk about uh, making jihad, many people talk about establishing the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bringing back the khilafah, making the Muslim supreme in the land. And many people talk about that fact, and at the same time they neglect that the, the, the aspect that how are we going to get Nasr or victory from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the same time that we are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us victory in our state when we are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? If we are serious about bringing Islam back, if we are serious about making jihad, one of the most important aspects that we have to tend to is our sins that we're committing and removing those sins. If we remove those sins, inshallah, and follow all of the other steps, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us victory. But if we think that we're just going to go out calling ourselves Muslims and saying that we're standing up for Islam, and day and night we disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then why? Yani based on the Quran and Sunnah, give me any, any evidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you victory while you are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Instead we find the opposite, yani that obedience and iman Taqwa, real taqwa and real obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one of the keys uh, to having Nasr and giving, being uh, planted uh, or being established in the land. Well, obviously, and the committing of sins leads to punishment in the hereafter, and it leads to punishment also in al-barzakh, or the time between the time we enter the grave and the time the day of resurrection. Now the point that I want to, uh, the aspect that I want to emphasize, let me consult with uh, 
And which uh, Brother Mutters, who was, I guess, left by now, <laughs> which he had uh, also touched upon in his, uh, his lecture. I don't know, he may have touched upon everything I've said by now, and I apologize if that's, uh, if that's the case. But I want to talk about a little bit about how and his sins and the committing of sins, especially by the Muslim society as a whole, and allowing it to exist within the Muslim society, how this will lead to punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not just in the hereafter, not just in the barzakh, but also punishment in this world. And in the punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives, and it due to sins. And this is any part of the laws or the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by which he has made or by which he rules and in this creation. There are two kinds of laws or two kinds of sunan that we can discuss sunan al-Tawniya or sunan al-Insaniya. Sunan al-Tawniya, what, what is meant by that are what they call nowadays the laws of nature. And how things work in this world in the physical sense. And this is something that could be understood by believers as well as disbelievers. Unfortunately nowadays many times we concentrate our efforts and we understand these aspects very well, but we forget about the other kinds of laws, and what we could call the social laws by which this world acts. And sometimes what is even worse than that, when we try to bring about social change, we emphasize yani, the, the, the natural laws or the laws of nature, and we de-emphasize the system. Well, in fact, the opposite should be the same. The laws, yani, as soon as Konia, the laws regarding the physical aspects of this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change them, can change them, can suspend them if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so wills for the sake of the believers. And we find many examples of that in the history of mankind. For example, the drowning of the people of Pharaoh, the miracles that Isa alayhi salam was given. And these are some of the examples by which there was a fire yani being called for Ibrahim alayhi salam. These are some of the examples by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala suspends or changes or temporarily changes some of the physical laws of this world. But with respect to the, the, the societal laws and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with people and deals with communities and deals with nations, these are laws that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not change. And these are laws that will continue. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, talking about the previous nations, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Sunnah Allah fil ladina khalu min qabl, 
ولن تجدوا سنة الله تبديلا and this that was the way of Allah in the case of those who passed away of old and you will not find any change in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in other words the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to how he deals with people and with nations another case another verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَهَلْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَّا سُنَةِ الْأَوَّلِينَ فَلَنْ تَجْدَ لِسُنَةِ اللَّهِ تَبْدِيلًا وَلَنْ تَجْدَ لِسُنَةِ اللَّهِ تَحْوِيلًا and then can they expect anything other than the way of dealing with the peoples of old so no change will you find in Allah's sunnah or the way of dealing and no turning off will you find in Allah's way of dealing with people so if we truly desire to change the situation of this ummah and what it is suffering from nowadays and it is these kinds of laws that we have to understand how they work so that we can abide by them and we can implement them such that inshallah there will be some change in our situation and if we do not understand these laws or if we ignore them or if we remain ignorant of them or if we feel that somehow we're going to violate them then our situation will not change and no matter how many uh, conferences we have no matter how many demonstrations we give no matter how many political rallies we have no matter how many political parties we have and our situation will never change if we don't understand these sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we, li- we live by their guidance and act accordingly and it is these sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that determine whether people will be happy and successful it is these sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that determine and how long a nation may exist and continue to exist in this world and so forth. So we have, we know about one punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to previous peoples that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not give to this ummah. And that is the punishment of it being completely removed from the face of the earth. I mean the people of Ad and the people of Thamud, they were completely removed, but this ummah this ummah will exist until the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not completely remove this ummah. Yet at the same time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish or may punish this ummah and the peoples of this ummah based on the deeds that they perform. And these punishments that come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we may divide them into two categories. One, I guess you could call the spiritual types of punishments and the other one are the physical types of punishment. The physical types of punishment are those that you can uh, sense with all of your senses. It is very clear, for example, when the people of Ad or Thamud are removed, and this was a punishment that the people at that time could see and witness with all their senses. However, many times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes us in a way which we can call a spiritual or non-physical form of punishment. And this, and there are many ways by which this is exhibited among the Ummah. Well, uh, the time left for me to speak is very short, so I'm trying to figure out what exactly what I want to say and what not to say. Uh, one of these punishments that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is not 
really a physical punishment, and you not you do not see it as someone being hurt physically and so forth, but it is something that we can obviously experience and see. This punishment is division and lack of unity among the believers. And if the believers' hearts should be brought together, if we had true Iman and we were truly obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then a blessing of that and a result of that is that our hearts would be brought together. However, when we disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and when we do not fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we commit sins, one of the results of that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes this blessing of love and mercy between the, the brothers and the sisters of Islam and replaces it with uh, disunity and hatred and enmity among the Muslims. And I think all of us have witnessed this kind of thing. That there is this kind of division among Muslims. The division exists on many different levels, whether it is national, whether it is uh, racial, whether it is linguistic, whether it is because of madhab, or whether it is because of different jama'ah, yani different groups, different Islamic groups that people belong to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, in general among the Muslim ummah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not brought our hearts together, but in fact our hearts uh, have been divided. And this division, as the Prophet described, this division is a kind of punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is the result of our disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our having diseases in our heart. And a diseases in our heart of for example some of this some of lots of this division is having the disease in the heart of wanting to be better than others and claiming to be better than others and looking at yourself as superior to others. And the nationalistic differences many times is because I'm from such and such country and so therefore I feel superior to those people from other countries. Even among mothers, I'm from the such and such madhab and our, and our madhab is better than such and such madhab so we are better than them. Our jama'ah, our Islamic group is better than them so I'm better than them and I look down upon them. And this is ignorance. And this is kibr, yani this is pride looking down upon others. And when those people bring you something which is true and correct, you refuse to accept it because who it comes from. This is exactly kibr as described by the Prophet. You are rejecting the truth and you are looking down upon the people. And this is one of our major causes of division and lack of unity among us. And this is a great sin, this feeling in the heart. It is a great sin and it leads to this uh, kind of punishment in this world. <clears throat> another kind, uh, another aspect of punishment in this world that we can see and vividly in front of us is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the same way that He has punished the Jews and the Christians and He before us through many means, by many means and He gives us clear examples in the Quran and in the hadith of the Prophet and also if we follow in the same footsteps as the Prophet has told us about, when we follow in the same footsteps, then we should expect the same results and the same kind of punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of these 
kinds of punishment, that is, uh, or being, that is, being disrespected or have not having any kind of honor or dignity to you, that is, being looked down upon by all others, not being respected, not having any voice, and people not even caring about you at all. And, and, and uh, the Prophet said that this kind of situation, and this kind of, of degradation, I guess is a good word for it. And in this kind of degradation, the Prophet said that degradation comes upon those people who disobey my orders. And when we disobey the Prophet or when we disobey the Quran, then as this hadith from Muslim Ahmed states, and his degradation is an expected result. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Man kan yurid al-azza falillahi al-azza fil jami'ah. And if anyone wants honor and dignity and power, then all the honor, the honor and dignity and power belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you look at the Muslim of the world today, and you see how they're treated by the kuffar. And unfortunately, even if you see how they're treated by one another, this is the saddest thing. Even among Muslims themselves, they do not give any respect or they rarely give respect to each other. And we have become so degraded that even among ourselves, we don't respect our, each other. And if you go to a mosque, you know everyone in the mosque is, is going to be Muslim. You go to a mosque, you don't mind, for example, if while going to a mosque, you park in such a way that you block all your brothers, they won't be able to get out. And in your way is, uh, are some shoes, so you just throw their shoes in the trash and you put yours. And even among ourselves, honey, we find this. What about among the kuffar? And among the kuffar, we see it, obviously. Nowadays, honey, the word human rights applies to everyone except humans. Yeah, I remember you follow all familiar with that bombing in uh, in Oklahoma City recently. Oklahoma City, that's in the United States. Okay, it's not someplace outside Manchester. And there was there was a bombing, and everybody thought in, in uh, building the Federal Trade Center. Uh, not the Federal Trade <laughs> Anyway, there was a bombing in Oklahoma City, and. And immediately after that bombing occurred, of course, everybody thought that this bombing, and it was done by Arabs, Arab terrorists. Then people discovered later that it seems that the Arab terrorists had nothing to do with it. And I actually heard one person comment, he's a famous person, and a well-respected person comment in front of many people and he said that, and I was very much surprised to learn that this bombing was not done by an Arab, or I may have said Muslim, I don't remember exactly now. He said, I was very surprised to find out that this bombing was not done by an Arab because I could not imagine that a human would do this to other humans. And you now look at what's happening in, in Bosnia, for example, and what the UN is doing about Bosnia and what the other nations are doing about Bosnia. And you see that in fact, I mean, Muslims, nobody cares about Muslims. There's no such thing as human rights when it comes to Muslims. There's no such thing as, as the blood and honor of Muslims. And this is nothing 
but the kind of punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to Bani Israel before and is nothing but the kind of punishment that is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again in this world and for this ummah and I guess and I guess on that point I have to I have to stop inshallah.